John. So if we could have heard what Rudy said, and he was actually doing quite well for those of us who were up here. We could hear him perfectly. He talked about John in there and the interaction between John and Jesus and his mother, Jesus' mother from the cross. John's who wrote, probably, is likely this John who wrote this gospel for us. So thanks for coming today. We're going to talk a little bit about one of the metaphors. We're in a series of the I Ams of Jesus. One of the metaphors that he used was, I am the gate of the sheep. If the kids were in here, I would ask the question, what does it mean to be a gate? How can a human be a gate? Well, obviously, it's metaphorical. It's a picture for us, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. Before we get there, let's have a little bit of fun with gates, Miss Donna. So cows, please close gate. Now, that's one way to read this. Or you could read it, cows, please close gate. So uh, maybe these are the smartest cows in the world, or you better close the gate or the cows are going to get out. Okay, next gate. This one on the gate, it says, keep gate closed. There's no fence. <laughs> and in fact, there's a padlock on the gate. <laughs> but I love the honesty of this person. The temptation kills me every time I drive, because you just want to go open that gate, right? Okay, <laughs> it's beautiful. Next picture. Uh, the dog's okay, beware of owner. I know several of you, and this is true in your life, that your dog is fine. You, you're a little sketchy, but here, this is at least an honest gate. And uh, then this last one, talk about ineptitude. Nobody gets in, nobody gets out. Look at that gate. It goes one foot into the driveway, and it keeps nobody out and nobody in, which just fascinating. When I saw that, I laughed and laughed, because I thought, think of the money they paid to have that security gate, and it's doing nothing. So that's a funny thought of gates, but gates is what we're going to talk about. Let's consider these things, talking of in and out. So ask ourselves a couple of questions. First of all, gates are for keeping some things in and some things out, right? Jesus describes himself as a gate. It implies an in and an out. Second, shepherds in his culture... You will get to shepherds. Jim will pick up the I am the good shepherd next week. We won't get to that today, but they are hooked together in this passage. Shepherds were close, well-known, and they were, in fact, had very intimate relationships with their sheep, but they were highly marginalized in their culture and in their communities. They were not looked upon well. Jesus goes there eventually. Some speculate about a number of the passages in here. I bet you, I had two people come up to me after the first service with some questions about some issues because some of this passage has been used and misused in a lot of ways. Most of the questions are in the shepherd passage, which means you can direct those to Pastor Jim. That's my suggestion. Usually he deflects them to me. This time I get to kick them to his court. But ask yourself these questions. How is Jesus describing himself? Is this a physical gate? Obviously not. There's something else going on. But what does that mean for us? And what is your response to that idea? We're going to get along. If you have a Bible with you, open it to John chapter 9, the very end of chapter 9. If you don't have one with you, you can reach in front of you. There's some black Bibles down in the chairs. Page 758 is where we're going. John chapter 9. Now, the bulk of this passage and the idea of the gate is actually in chapter 10, but we've got to set it up. We can't just drop the gate on you. It won't even make any sense at all. John chapter 9 is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. An adult blind man that Jesus walks up and heals. You remember the interchange because the disciples say, who sinned so that this guy is blind? You remember that? Jesus heals him. 
He goes out, the, the Pharisees drag the guy in, the Sanhedrin drag him in twice to question him about what happened. And finally, the guy says, look, you're the smarty pants around here. What do you think I know? I'm just some blind guy. All I know is yesterday I couldn't see and today I can see. That's all I can tell you about this guy. Okay. So at that point, the story picks up. We're going to go down to 9 verse 35 starts here, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. What is that all about? Well, here's what happens. Uh, in the interplay here, the Pharisees decide they're going to take it out on this guy that Jesus did it wrong. Jesus broke the rules because he healed on the Sabbath. And so they're like, wait, this guy can't be from God. He's got to be doing something wrong if he would heal on the Sabbath. And there's the, the interchange. So what they do is they throw the newly seeing guy out of the synagogue. You're now barred because you won't agree with us about this. Gives you a little bit of insight as to what things are going on. So Jesus now is talking with them. I do have to ask you this. Uh, Jesus did actually heal on the Sabbath. Was that situational ethics? Did Jesus go, oh, in this case, because there's a blind guy here, I should heal him. So this outweighs the Sabbath? We're not even going to study that. I'm going to leave that one for you to study on your own. You get to go find out the answer to that. So, and when he had Jesus found him, he says to the man, do you believe in the Son of Man? Actually, the word in Greek is the Son of God in this passage. Isn't this the question? This is the question. This is the question. This is the question. Do you believe? Now, I challenge you to go all the way through the interactions anywhere else in the New Testament and the Old and find a place where behavior is the lead point. Sometimes it gets there pretty quickly. But the vast majority of the time, belief is the first question especially in Jesus' interaction as John wrote them down. Do you believe? What do you believe? And in fact, then Hebrews 11 recaptures the entire story of the Bible and says faith was the bottom line issue. But look what's going on here. Verse 36, who is he? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Do you really think he doesn't believe yet? He completely believes. In fact, he has already expressed that in one of the greatest apologetic confessions in the history of, of the world when he stood in front of those Pharisees and said, I don't know who he is. All I know is I was blind, now I can see. I believe in that. So who is this? The man says, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, verse 37, you have now seen him, and in fact, he's the one with whom you are speaking. I am he. I am. It's actually in here. There's an I am in here. Throughout history, this has been one of the great, interesting things going on. Read this controversial. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. If you wonder, is this about works, like earning, like getting enough, doing enough, getting enough sacramental grace from God, going to the right place, going to church, is that what the lead point is? Or if you think it's, as came out of the Reformation, it's only about faith. It doesn't matter how you behave and act. That doesn't matter at all. Belief is all that it's about. This verse, with no 
breath a second time in between it. Leads with believe, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. A behavior. Belief, behavior hooked right at the hip. They're not separated. They're not separated. But the primary, the first thing, maybe by a second, is belief. And then he proceeded to worship. I hope that happened for you this morning, your time of worship in this encounter was a decision to say, I believe, and now I worship you. Verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see become blind. Now, if you could read this in the Greek, I love the the word for seeing, the capacity to see is blepo. Isn't that a fun word to say? Blepo. Well, the way this is structured, there's like four blepos in a row in here with different endings on it. It's all a word play that Jesus is playing. The emphasis is not on the blindness. The emphasis is on the seeingness. He says, in effect, I, if you could say it, I have come so that those, the, the unseeing see and the seeing don't see. It's all in a, like a, it's a connection of a wordplay. And the Pharisees pick up on this immediately. Verse 40, I love this. So the, some of the Pharisees were there and they heard him say this and they said, what? Are we blind too? In other words, they understood what he was pointing out. Because he's interacting with the blind guy, and he's, inter- and he's talking with him. And then all of a sudden, these Pharisees interrupt and say, wait, are you saying we're blind? Is that what you just said? That's what I thought I heard you say. Is that what you said? The fact is, yes, that's what Jesus said. Yes, I'm talking to the blind. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. In other words, he picks up the word again. But this time, he's talking about if you had no idea what I meant. If, if you literally were clueless, we're having a different conversation. But guys, you know everything. You know it all. But now that you claim, verse 41, that you can see your guilt remains. Now, I'm going to say this to this room, and I include myself. This is not a direction to you. This is to me. In fact, this is more to me in the context of shepherding than it is to maybe anybody else in the room. These people knew more religiously than anybody else around them. And yet they were blind. This is a stern warning. This happens over and over in the gospel, by the way. These men were not, these were the kind of men that you would look at and respect and honor with the highest regard. They lived, their behavior was impeccable. That's how they remained as Pharisees, especially within the Sanhedrin as leaders. And Jesus says, well, if you really were clueless, we'd be having one conversation. But yes, I just called you blind because... Here I am standing here healing this blind man, and you're accusing me of breaking the Sabbath, and you throw him out of the synagogue as a result. It's a good time for us all who are religious. A number of you have been in a church a gazillion times and know a good bunch. Where would you be in this category? 
in. Remember, the gate is for some in and some out. Here's the fascinating thing. Some who are convinced they're the in may actually be on the out. Now we'll start chapter 10. By the way, the verse and chapter breaks in the Bible were not there till 1550 AD. So this is kind of broken up in a bad spot where this, this discussion should start is back in verse 35, which is why we started there, and then continue right through. This should not be a new chapter. But nonetheless, he continues here in verse 1. I tell you the truth. This is one of the verily verilies. The, uh, I'm here to get your attention. Hello, pay attention. Here's a spotlight. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Jesus takes, this is brilliant, he takes the discussion off of the blindness and switches metaphors immediately and takes it right to shepherding and sheep. Now, he uses some fascinating language here. Let me just describe what he's talking about. Sheep pens in his time frame were mostly used in the winter, in the summers and in the spring when the grass was great. They would stay out in the fields and keep the flocks out there mostly. But this is right in the wintertime. We know from the festivals that this is going on in the book of John. And in the winter, they would stay in these pens that were rock walls. You can imagine this. You've seen it. Walls made out of rocks. And what they would do, this is desert area, so they would grow vines that had thorns and thistles in them that were up on the wall as part of the wall. So a thorny thistle, if you've been in a desert, you know there's no need to go work very hard to get thorns and thistles to grow. They grow like crazy. So they would have these around on the walls. And then, considering the time frame, there's no physical gate on these pens. It's just an open area, and the sheep go in. What he says is, there's some who climb over the top of the wall, and they're basically like thieves and robbers. The one, though, verse 2, the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. It's a very common reference. They would have heard this as Jews, having read the Old Testament. You, can, you could start down all the list of the Psalms where God uses this metaphor of God as the shepherd, the sheep as Israel. This was very common to them. They would understand it. The watchman, verse 3, opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. In the ancient Near East, in this time frame, they usually had quite small flocks, but they would all be gathered together in larger flocks to go to different places. And often that might even happen within a common pen that they would be together. But the shepherd would know the individuals by name. I loved that we sang some songs about name today to consider the idea of the name. Um, I have seen this, you might have seen this on Animal Planet. There's a great documentary about the Maasai shepherds in Africa. And when they hit the dry season, there will be places that it's miles and miles with no visible water anywhere. But these guys are smart enough to find oxbows and some banks in the river where water congregates deep underneath the visible ground. And they will dig wells down in there for their sheep. And here's what they do. They literally dig these small 
spaces. And a lot of times they work together, but they still keep their sheep together. So what the shepherds do is they start singing. And they all have their own song. And they'll be down in the well working, digging, trying to get water. And the sheep will be up on the hillside up above the riverbank. And they all start coming down, all congregated together. And it's just fabulous to watch because as they go, they'll walk right by 10 wells and go right to the song of their own shepherd. They know who their shepherd is. It's brilliant imagery. This idea of the shepherd calls the sheep by name. The Israelites would have understood this because God had chosen them. He was their shepherd. They were his sheep. Not the gods of the Egyptians, not the gods of the Babylonians and the Hittites and the mosquito bites and everybody else around them. It was the God of Israel who called them, who sang to them, who called them by name. Names are very hard workers. You think about it. Think about the awkwardness when you're supposed to know that guy's name, right? I had it happen this morning. Somebody, a, a couple that have been coming in here a lot, a mom and a, and a son, they sit right back on the, they have an assigned seat right back there where Sonata is, and they, they sit there and I've met this guy a couple of times. I couldn't remember his name. So I had to do the sheepish <laughs> extra credit. No, sheepish thing where I had to walk over and kind of hang dog and then kind of go, uh, you got to remind me your name. I'm really sorry. And, but I want to remember it. His name is Paul. I don't think I'll forget it now because I've used him twice in sermon illustrations. But anyways, that could happen to you. You never know around here. But nonetheless, the power of Wanting to know, but not knowing, but also the power when somebody does remember your name, right? And think about what happens in a culture with names. We literally, we get into good schools because of names. We get good jobs because of names. We get all kinds of appointments because of what names do for us. Names make a whole bunch of decisions for us that we're not even often aware of. We like to go to places where we recognize the names, we live in places, we tend to, where we can say names. Jim is in a place right now where people will walk up to him and articulate a name to him, and he will not be able to even say their name back to them right now in real time because he doesn't recognize Himalayan names, right? Indian names. He doesn't recognize those. He recognizes our names. We buy things. The researchers have done copious amounts of research to find out how they can get us to purchase things. Do you know what the number one best-selling name association is? Lincoln. Lincoln. Still, Lincoln. In this country, Lincoln invokes a sense of confidence, of honor, of courage, of righteousness, of justice, right? Lincoln, one word. Names are powerful. God brings us names, and the gate is about the names. Are you a named one? Are you not? He leads them out, verse 4. When he has brought them all out on his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. They'll never follow a stranger, he says. Now, the Old Testament is sadly full of all kinds of references to when the sheep followed a voice they thought they recognized as being trustworthy and the shepherd led them down the wrong place. 
Jim will probably get into this and develop it more further next week. In Ezekiel 34, God talks at length. The whole chapter is about God talking to the shepherds who have not cared for the sheep. And near the end, he says to them, I myself then will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, who, by the way, has been dead for 400 years by the time Ezekiel wrote that. I will place over them my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. That is what Jesus is talking and referring back to. You've had bad shepherds, and you've had shepherds who have not been good gates, but I am here as a gate, and I am here as a shepherd. Verse 5, in fact, the sheep run away because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. And Jesus used this figure of speech about that, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. So Jesus said to them again, here's the verse we've been pointing at all morning. I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate, and whoever enters through me will be saved. He'll come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life. That word to the Jew would have meant life eternal. The final resting of the Messiah, the kingdom of God. And they will have it to the full. I am the gate. You may have heard this. It's pretty common reference, but in those places I mentioned earlier that those pens, those walls, did not have gates most of the time. So the shepherds, after they would get their sheep inside, they would lie down and be the door. And anybody coming in or going out, unless I say so, they assumed that position. Jesus is going to pick this up when he's talking about being the good shepherd in a little while. And he'll say, I literally am going to lay down my life for you. This is powerful imagery. Powerful stuff. I'm come to be a shepherd that invokes life. Now, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Thinking through this, does it, what's your reaction to the fact that there's an in and an out? Does that bother you some? Does it bother you that part of the good shepherd's job is to keep some out? That might bother you. It's a pretty common thing in our culture to say, um, ah, as long as people are well-intentioned, as long as they, it was the, he's a nice guy, he was a good guy. Is that automatically in? Do you feel, if you're on the inside and you believe that, 
do you feel controlled and manipulated by that? Do you feel like, hey, wait a minute. Jesus got me penned in here. I don't have liberty and freedom. Your reaction to this scenario, literally, is a good indicator of what kind of sheep you are. Me too. Me too. The voice is not with whips and chains and the, the voice does not drag anybody. The voice calls out and the sheep follow. The sheep realize we don't know where the best grass is. The sheep realize we don't know how to protect ourselves from everything. Good sheep are not as worried about the in and the out as the shepherd is. It's an opportunity we all have right here in this metaphor to ask ourselves those questions I asked you to consider at the beginning. Are, what's your reaction? Are you on the in or the out? Are you one who behaves as if you're in but actually your belief is on the out because Jesus was looking those guys right in the eye. Are you one who is in and is a good sheep? And if you're a good sheep, what's your next step to follow? What does that look like? If you've been a good sheep for 40 years, you still have more steps to follow. You still have places to go that you may not have ever considered. That's what it means to follow the shepherd instead of just being a fat, lazy sheep that just sits around. <laughs> this metaphor is fascinating. It is fascinating. The thing I definitely want you to be aware of as we close up this morning is that Jesus took the discussion off the blindness and the seeing. He said, that's too abstract maybe for you guys. Here's what I'll remind you of. I'm laying right there. I'm a shepherd who's a good shepherd. You can trust. Let's pray. Lord, thanks. These pictures, these uh, word images uh, are so amazing. As you went along, you picked up off of the I am that uh, God's expressed through the bush to Moses. And then you extrapolated all along the journey of the book of John and gave us all these little snapshots to help us understand some more dynamics of who you are for us. Thank you for laying down your life. Thank you for shepherding us. Thank you for managing the distinction between the in and the out. Help us to ask that question of ourselves that you asked of the blind man. Do you believe? And then help us to follow that with worship, with a life that is the life of a good sheep. Thanks, we pray in, in your name. Amen. Ushers, if you would come. This is how we kind of work around here. We... 